Well, we're just about at fever pitch, aren't we? We've got the NRL's foray into the US. It's going to become a reality on Sunday. That is Saturday night US time. But uh, we've got uh, what we like to do here is balance our coverage of anything and everything. Ryan Dufty is a financial services lawyer with over 10 years experience in the US. He's a rugby league lover who grew up in Cairns. He attended Bond University and then Duke University School of Law and was part of Duke Rugby Club. And I'm going to describe him as a voice of moderation. He is on the line. G'day, Ryan. Hey, Jimmy. How are you? Mate, I'm really well. I'm really well. I'm excited about what's happening Sunday our time. And obviously there's um, been so much said and indeed written about it. But as someone who's been over there to the US, lived there for a long period of time, a lover of the game of rugby league, what are you seeing when you see the NRL playing their first ever match over in Las Vegas? Yeah, look, it's exciting, Jimmy, that they're trying this. And I don't want to downplay that at all. I think it's absolutely amazing that they're having a crack. And to those people who are going to the event, actually heading to Vegas to watch the game, I can't stress enough. They're going to have an amazing time. Yeah. It's a fantastic city. It truly is a world-class stadium. It's a thing of beauty. They're going to absolutely love the event. I think just the issue that the NRL is going to face is threefold. Firstly, people do not know what rugby league is in the United States. Secondly, there's no market for anything at five in the morning aside from coffee, and that is when NRL games televise in the United States. And thirdly, I think we need to be realistic about the money that is going to come from gambling in the United States. Uh, the legislation is different over there. Yep. Sporting leagues do not get a percentage of revenue from gambling in the United States. Okay. All right. Let's unpick a, a, a couple of those things. Um, let's go to Allegiant Stadium first up. You, you're right. It's spectacular. Yeah. We're hearing now that there's 35,000 tickets sold. There's probably a 40,000 with a few walk-ups as well. It's big picture stuff to go there first up. Do you think there are other stadiums in the country that might fit this? Because one of the other things is it's a little bit narrow compared to our rugby league fields. Yeah, it is. And that's the issue. It's They're playing a field at the moment that's 63 metres wide. Normally a rugby league field is 68 metres wide. Um, one of the issues with new stadia in the United States is there's a focus on narrow sight lines and tighter sight lines. So it means that it's very difficult to get a rugby league field fitting in there. I mean, I think the issue is why, if we're trying to sell the game to a new audience, especially a game that is so predicated now on speed and width and spacing on the field, are we playing a game on a field which is too narrow? Particularly, there's some stadiums around very close that are perfectly suited for rugby league. We've got Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego, which just came online two years ago already has a major league rugby state, uh, team playing there, the San Diego Legion, yep. perfectly sized, 35,000 people, and can fit a rugby league field. We also have coming online in the next two years a new stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, which will be able to host a rugby league field. And I'll tell you what, Nashville is as big a pool for tourism as is uh, Las Vegas, and that would be a fantastic venue to host a stadium. The field is too narrow, and Jimmy, I think I want to stress as well, it's not just the dimensions of the field compressing the play. It's also a bit of a safety issue for the players as well, because 
immediately outside of that grassed area, you have two metres of grass outside the sidelines. And then what you have is the concrete field tray. And then outside that, you have very, very rigid uh, staging infill, which Mm. is used to bridge the gap between the field and the sideline. That's rock hard because it's designed to uh, host the cameras. So what they have to do is they have to put a mountain of padding down to protect the players from crashing into that, which means that there's potential risk for ankle injuries because, as you know, players can't have a change of footing running off the field. So I think we really need to look at alternative stadiums. Okay. It sounds like there's a couple there and maybe years two, three, four and five, that's something to look at. What about, so you played with the the Duke Rugby Club over there. Everyone's concerned. Does anyone know what rugby league is? They know what rugby is, but that then confuses things. Should we call it the NRL? Talk to us about an American's understanding of the nexus between rugby and rugby league. Yeah, so the problem is is that Americans don't know what rugby league is. No. They know what rugby union is because rugby union has very much immersed itself in the high schools and the colleges there in the United States over the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, certainly the Duke Rugby Club stretches its sort of, um, stretches its uh, genesis back to the 1970s. Right. So they know what rugby union is. They don't know what rugby league is. So I think in naming the NRL, they have to focus on NRL, 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 NRL. Um, One of the issues as well, of course, is that the event on the weekend clashes with the uh, HSBC Rugby 7 series, which is taking place in Los Angeles. So that causes a lot of confusion and also takes away from the state, from the crowd that could possibly be at the stadium. A lot of rugby fans in the United States sort of are a little cynical towards rugby league and even a bit snobbish, unfortunately. Yes. Those who aren't would probably be open to going to the games were it not for the fact that it's clashing with the sevens uh, tournament in LA. So everybody who cares about rugby is going to the sevens tournament in LA this weekend rather than going to Allegiant Stadium. So that's mm. a problem there as well. No market at 5am you're talking about. So this is the, the NRL proper being beamed back into the US. There will be a Saturday night broadcast audience across Fox Sports 1. Uh, what are we anticipating as a, a potential audience in that, not just for this weekend, but perhaps ongoing, Ryan? Okay, for this weekend, I think the maximum audience they're going to get is about 200,000 average viewers on the Nielsen rating. And how you can extrapolate that is basically looking at what that Saturday night audience on Fox Sports 1 gets over the years. Um, You have to bear in mind in the United States, Peter Volandis has been very keen to sell the fact that Fox Sports 1 is beamed into 70 million US homes. Yep. That's absolutely correct, but that doesn't equate to average viewership and Nielsen ratings. Um, you know, there's, the reason they're in 70 million homes is because they're tied in with the cable bundle and particularly they're related to Fox News, which everybody in the United States wants to get. I think we're going to get 200,000 viewers for these two games. Now, of course, one of the problem is, is that the game is televised at not, the first game is televised at 9.30 on the East Coast and then 11.30, the second game, the Broncos versus Manly. So a lot of people who want to watch the game are going to be asleep 
Also, it's a bit of a dud game. The lead-in to the NRL games on Saturday night is a very bad college basketball fixture between Georgetown, who are 2-14 and 14 in conference, and Xavier. So not exactly a huge sort of rating puller. They're going up against a game uh, which is going to draw in the millions, Michigan State and Purdue, number two in the country, on yep. Fox Sports. So that's a bit of an issue for them for this weekend. I mean, ratings going forward. I mean, the games are televised at 5 a.m. Yep. You maybe get a few thousand people watch those going forward. And that's unfortunately the big issue for the NRL. You can't turn the world on its side and change the time zones. So as well as even if they marketed this perfectly this weekend and they got millions of viewers, which unfortunately they won't, that doesn't necessarily mean that going forward they're going to have solid viewership because mm. nothing good happens at 5 a.m., whether out in the nightclub or on television. Yeah. Um, just on that, Sunday 2 o'clock game here uh, would then be a Saturday night game, especially from a West Coast point of view. So maybe that's a, a little more palatable, but um, something to consider. Hey, Georgetown used to be a great basketball school, didn't it? That was Patrick Ewing, right, back in the, the 80s? Yeah, and part of the problem is Patrick Ewing came back to coach. Oh, right. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so, so, so great players, Jimmy, don't necessarily make great coaches, as we've seen in the NRL time and time again. Patrick Ewing came back to coach Georgetown in the last three years and absolutely sent the school into the toilet. He was sacked last year, and right. this season they're still struggling to come back. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, they just got to get a, a few um, elite players through that transfer portal and away that's they right. go um now expats that's, that's right expats in the u.s what's the size of that market because that's another metric that peter volandis has spoken of yeah so peter volandis has thrown out the term three hundred thousand. now i don't know where peter volandis is getting that number because if you go onto the u.s census.gov site where they or they do their census sort of every 10 years, but they also do a tally every year of Australians in the United States. Now, their numbers at the moment are 96,000 Australians living in the United States. Right. So that's a third of the number that Peter Volandis is throwing out there. And I mean, look, if you want to get an idea as to sort of how the Australians who are in the United States might flock to this game, you can possibly look at a number of years ago in 2015, the Australian Wallabies played the United States in a rugby test. Yeah. Um, at Chicago Stadium. So I was at that game and it was a fantastic event, really well marketed, a lot of lead into the game in terms of uh, media, both on sort of television and the news, and only 25,000 showed up. So that sort of gets you, gives you a sort of feeling for, you know, the amount of Australians in the country and actually how many of them will show up to a really well marketed event. Right. The gambling dollar is spoken about a lot. Explain that situation too, where where if you put on the event, which is very standard here, I think they call it the race fields legislation, that you get a percentage of turnover. That's not the case in the US? Yeah, that's not the case in the United States. So in America, in Australia, there's two ways that you go about getting that sort of revenue. All of the state legislation states that if you are a sporting league, you, uh, the Australian state laws provide the Australian sport leagues receive a percentage of gambling revenue. US state laws do not. There is currently gambling on sports legal in 38 US states. Mm. 
not one state provides for the sporting leagues getting a percentage of gambling revenue. It's really important to stress that the NFL, which is the most powerful lobby just about in the United States, does not receive a percentage of gambling revenue. The NBA does not receive a percentage of gambling revenue. Right. The NRL will not receive a percentage of gambling revenue. Okay, okay. So they rely on gambling sponsorship of the league um, and of the broadcasters. That's exactly right. So indirectly exactly they get right. it. Right. Okay. In, indirectly. And the NFL is finding that actually most of the benefit that they're receiving from gambling is not so much the sponsorship dollars because the NRL, the NFL already receives hundreds of billions of dollars in sponsorship revenue. It's actually the engagement that people uh, benefit from in terms of when they're gambling on the games, they engage more with the NFL going forward. So that's the benefit the NFL receives as much as anything. While they do receive sponsorship dollars, it's as much about the engagement as anything else. Yeah, right. If you're going to back a, a first touchdown scorer, then you will be watching the game. Yeah, and this is also an interesting thing about having the game in Las Vegas as well too. So the biggest gambling companies in the United States are FanDuel and DraftKings, yep. uh, primarily because they got in early on fantasy sports. So yep. they were already set up and ready to go when the Supreme Court legalized gambling. So if you go into Las Vegas and pull out your phone and try to gamble on games in Las Vegas, you can't gamble on FanDuel, you can't gamble on DraftKings. They do not operate in Las Vegas. So there was talk before the game a few months ago about FanDuel and DraftKings possibly signing up with the NRL. They're not going to do it for a game based in Vegas because you can't gamble on those two companies in Las Vegas because to gamble online in Las Vegas, you have to physically walk up to a sports book and sign up in person for that paperwork. Right. So that's that's a bit of a barrier for the NRL as well in facing the game in Vegas. If they had the game in New York, absolutely, you could get FanDuel and DraftKings involved, but they're not going to get involved in Las Vegas. Ryan Dufty is a financial services lawyer, a rugby league lover who grew up in Cairns and spent over a decade in the US. Ryan, it's great to have you on today. Really appreciate it. The voice of moderation and uh, yeah, some really, really interesting insights into the way things operate over there. Appreciate your time today, mate. No worries. Thank you very much, Jimmy.